Hey, we're glad you guys are here. Just as Joel said, we are uh, kind of landing uh, this kind of series we've been going through over the last, uh, I don't know, 11 weeks. I can't keep track of summer. I don't know what week it is, but we're kind of landing this series we've been going through all summer uh, called Jesus in Between, just kind of looking at the life and ministry and kind of, uh, of, of Jesus, the people he interacted with, the things that he said. We've kind of been walking through that. And so today we're kind of landing that conversation. So you guys can open up your Bibles to the book of Mark. You can open up your phones to the book of Mark. You can follow along on the screen this morning. We are going to continue this conversation. If I haven't uh, met you before, my name's Aiden. I'm one of the pastors here. Believe it or not, it's like, do they just let anybody be a pastor here? No, no, no. Every time we have somebody walk in, I walk out to like meet with them and they'll be like, no, really, where's the pastor at? So then I just tackle them and I punch them. But my name is Aiden and I... um, I am the pastor of like the worship and, and creative arts here and music and absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Grew up uh, doing music and I love music. Like music in one way or another kind of impacts like everybody's lives, right? Like in one way or another, we all kind of are, are attached to music. I love, I love all the different kind of aspects of music that even like the elements that make up a song kind of have your harmony or your, your melody. You kind of have your rhythm. You have all these different pieces that make it up. You have different genres of music. If you're on Spotify, just scroll down through the genres of music on Spotify. You're like, is that a genre? That sounds like food. I don't even know what that is. But there's all kinds of different genres. You know, you got your slow jams, you got your punk rock, you got your old classical music. You kind of got, now everybody's making music on their computers in their bedrooms and it's awesome. Uh, The kind of stream of music that I come from is kind of played in bands in high school with my friends. We kind of played in bands in high school, college kind of thing. And so that's kind of the world we came from. It was so fun, like writing songs. We just wanted, we wanted to play. We just wanted to go play those songs places right? And some of the, sometimes we got to do some pretty fun stuff, and sometimes you do shows, and they're good opportunities, and sometimes you do certain shows out of necessity, right? Like, you need to pay for gas, you got to pay for t-shirts, and so you do certain things out of necessity. So once, we, we played some show somewhere, and these people asked, hey, would you come play an event at our youth group in a couple months? We're like, sure. What's the event? They're like, it's a princess party. <laughs> now, you're like... <laughs> We're like pretty cool. We're like, oh, princess party. Uh, can you tell us more about this? They're like, yeah, it's like everybody from like six-year-olds to like sixth graders, they wear dresses and it's a princess party. We'd love for you guys to play. It says a lot about what we sounded and looked like. But, but we're like, well, does it pay? And they're like, 700 bucks. We're like, sold. We'll take it. We got to pay for gas. And so we go and we play. It was great. It was great. But it's always kind of a little humbling. You tell people like, what's the, what's the best show you guys ever played? We're like, princess party. It was crazy. People were just swinging from the lights. It was awesome. But despite like all kind of like a background on music, my favorite aspect of music kind of grew up originally as a drummer. Like, I love rhythm. Is anybody else with me? Is anybody, anybody like drums, rhythm people? It's all my people who like rap. Sweet. Like, but, but I love like the rhythm, because the rhythm, everything else kind of sits on top of the drums, right? Everything kind of sits on top of the rhythm, and I'm just a big fan of the rhythm in music, right? And the thing about rhythm is that it's a word that we use all the time in our lives for kind of the pace of how we want to set our life up, right? The rhythms of our lives, the things that we do, the way that we spend time, the places that we go, rhythms. We talk about it all the time, right? We want to have the right rhythms in our lives. We want to have good margin. We want to have the right eating habits. We want to, we want to exercise well, eat correctly, spend the right amount of time with our family, not binge too much Netflix. We want to work hard. We want to raise kids and not lose our minds. And many of us have many different ways that we establish those rhythms, right? We have people that we listen to to help us get the right rhythms in our life. For some of us, we listen to podcasts. We listen to we read self-help books. We do yoga, Zumba, HGTV, read magazine articles, blogs, listen to people's opinions. We have our role models, you name it. But we're trying to manage our life. We want to have the right 
rhythms in our life and we'll do anything to try and make our time and investments matter, right? We want our time to matter. We want our investments to matter. We want our rhythms to work well. And sometimes we have those inspiring evenings where we figure out what we want to do. And then the next morning, Netflix is like, do you want to still keep watching Netflix, right? And so sometimes getting those rhythms to actually take root in our lives can be a challenge, right? Sometimes finding out what to base the rhythms of our lives on can be a challenge. And so today, as we wrap this series up, this is not some self-help thing. I wouldn't be the person giving you self-help advice anyways. But what we want to do is, like we said, we want to take a 30,000-foot view of the life of Christ and look at, man, what were these rhythms in Jesus's life? What were these rhythms like? We wanted to take a little sample size and look at a couple, just a couple of the rhythms of his life. I want to simply say it this way. If Jesus calls us to follow him, If he calls us to be his followers, if we proclaim to be followers of Jesus, it only makes sense that we would take a survey, that we'd be reminded of the general rhythms of Jesus's life. Who did he spend time with? What was he preoccupied with? What was he not preoccupied with? What he talked about, what he got mad at, what he brushed off. Who, who he spent time with. We want to look at these rhythms of Jesus' life. Why? So that we might be Christ-like, right? And here's, here's what I want to say. I want to make sure I'm very, very clear about this. This conversation, as we kind of look at the rhythms in the way in which Jesus lived his life, that we as followers of Jesus, if you would say you're a follower of Jesus, that we may model our life rhythms off of Jesus. It only makes sense, right? What this conversation is not is What things do we have to do in our lives in order that God will accept us, in order for Jesus to accept us, in order for us to kind of find salvation, be right with God? That is not this week's conversation. That's what we sing about. We looked at that last week. Every single week is built on the work of Jesus, that we have right relationship with God, that we have forgiveness of sins, that we have grace upon grace from Jesus because of the work that he has done in our place. And that's what we were singing. We say yes and amen to the goodness of what he has done on our behalf. And so what we're talking about today is how do we live practically day to day in the light of that truth? And so that's the conversation that I want to have today. What's interesting is I remember being a middle schooler and there was a guy named Ryland who, who led the band in, middle, in high school. I was a middle schooler and I wanted to be just like him. Like if, if I heard he didn't like a band, I'm like, yeah, I don't like that band either. I don't like them. They're not, they're not like indie enough. You know, I would dress exactly like him. And this was before you could get skinny jeans at the mall. You had to go find old Wranglers that were skinny jeans. Like I wanted to be just like him. Why? Because I wanted to model my life after this person. And as followers of Christ, it only makes sense that we model our rhythms, model the rhythms of our life after Christ. But here is the kicker. Here's kind of the central kind of idea of this whole conversation. The the central thing to this whole conversation is in order to have rhythms like Jesus, in order to have our life kind of look and flow the way that Jesus did practically, we have to know the sheet music, so to say, that he was following Like rhythms are kind of set to music, right? Jesus wasn't just some self-help guru. He wasn't just a good person doing random nice things so that we could look at him and be like, those are nice things that we should do. No, Jesus had music that he was very specifically following and his rhythms matched with that music. And the same thing is true for you and it's true for me that the rhythms of our lives, the things that we spend our time on, things that we think about, the things that we spend money on, the things that we make decisions about, where our effort goes, they aren't just random. Sometimes it feels that way, right? But they're not just random. If we look at all those things in our life, we'll see, hey, what is the, the sheet music, so to say, of our life? What's the music that the rhythms of our lives are following? And that was the mission of Jesus. So scripture gives us the song 
the sheet music, the mission of Jesus's life. I want to throw a couple of them up here. He says this, these different things all throughout scripture. The first one is, is Luke 19. We'll throw it on the screen. Jesus says, for the son of man, that's him. He came, why? To seek and save the lost. He says, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He goes on and says more. He says, we'll, we'll keep flipping through here. In Mark, he says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour in regards to the cross. He says, Father, glorify your name. The rhythms of Jesus's life were playing to the music and mission of his life. And so all I want to do today, each one of these things could be a whole sermon series in and of themselves. But I just want to open to the book of Mark. You guys got it laid in your laps. There's a Bible in the chair in front of you. I want you to see it or open up your phone. I want you to see it. Because what we'll see is we're just looking at a little zip code. The first couple chapters in Mark. And we're just looking at this and saying, hey, what, what rhythms of Jesus's life do we see just in this sample size? You know how someone does a, a poll or a survey, they take a sample to kind of represent the bigger picture? That's all we're doing today. We're looking at a little sample to represent kind of maybe a bigger picture of the rhythms of Jesus's life. We can't read all four gospels today. We could, but you guys would skip lunch and you wouldn't like me. So we're going to look just at this general passage. We're going to pull out three different rhythms that we see right here that are in a way representative of Jesus's life and ministry. Sound good? <laughs> good. It's really happy for 10 o'clock. All right, the first that we see this, the first is we kind of start to read through the story of Jesus, the things that he does, the people he interacted with, you'll see this. That the rhythms of Jesus, the rhythms of his life confronted evil at work within the world. Starting off quick. You're like, I thought we were going to softball this right away. No, we're going in hard. The rhythms of Jesus confronted evil at work within the world. Jesus was ushering in his kingdom where Jesus would reign in grace and in truth and in light and life and in justice. He often throughout the gospels talks, he tells stories, he tells parables of what his kingdom is like. Spoiler alert, it's pretty different than what our kingdoms are like. In Mark 1.15, he says, the time has come, the beginning of his ministry. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. Is that not good news? And as Jesus is ushering in his kingdom, as Jesus is ushering in his kingdom, he's working against the powers that are present in our world, against the evil that's present within our world. We talked about this, how sin has kind of taken up residence through our world. And Jesus shows up and in authority, he starts to paint pictures of pushing these things back. And in Mark, so Jesus is baptized. He goes into the wilderness and, and is tempted by Satan. He comes back, calls his disciples. And this is the first thing that, that they do. We'll throw this up on the screen. This is Mark 1 verse 21, right away. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as someone who had authority. Not like the teachers of the law, throwing a little shade there. I like it. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know that you are the Holy One of God. And that's how Jesus responds. He says, be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit, or we could call it a demon, shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were so amazed that they began to ask each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits, to demons, and they obey him. That Jesus shows up on the scene, and right away he starts confronting the powers and the reality of evil, right? 
that these, he, this continues, you see these rhythms of his life all through the gospels that he begins to, con, he continues to confront these evils by offering the forgiveness of sins, by casting out these impure spirits, casting out these demons, by healing the sick, by challenging those who were throwing around their power to oppress. And he, he opposed evil by raising the dead to life, not just physically, but through the gospel, spiritually. And ultimately, Ultimately, the rhythms of Jesus' life come together at the cross where Jesus confronts evil. The demon says, have you come to destroy us? Oh yeah, look at what Colossians 2 says. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The rhythms of Jesus' life and his interactions with people and his interactions in different situations, he was pushing back the effects of evil, ushering his kingdom in. And as he did these different things, they were all pointing to the authority that he possessed to ultimately do what this passage in Colossians is saying, to ultimately triumph over the principalities of darkness through his death on the cross. Amen. Yeah, we got a couple of letters. I like it. I know we're getting loose. I like it. But here, here's what I think about all the time. Just in this passage, as Jesus shows up to, to kind of push back against the powers in, of sin and darkness in our world, ultimately at the cross, we're like, why do those things still exist, right? I just, I rabbit trail when we talk about these things. These are the things I think about. If, if Jesus disarmed the powers of, uh, of darkness at the cross, then why do we still have these things? I mentioned this guy's name last week. His name's Mark Sayers. I've kind of just been reading and listening to him this last week. He explains this in a way that I thought was awesome. There's a guy named Oscar Common who's a, a historical historian. It's the best kind of historian is a historical historian. He was a historian. And he talks specifically about World War II. And he, and he talks about this. He kind of makes a statement that, that World War II, if you're familiar with World War II, I love World War II, was, was basically all, all but won when, when the uh, Allied powers won at D-Day, when we kind of came in the beaches of Normandy and took over the beaches of Normandy, pushed back the Axis powers, pushed back the Nazis. All, all but one. Now, there's still like another year and some change, another large battles that would happen. But when we took that, when we conquered that, when we triumphed on that beach, we began to push back the powers. And it was, it was all but finished, right? It was all but finished as we walked through this next year that we had basically defeated, but yet the enemy was still fighting. I think that's what happens at the cross, that Jesus triumphs over sin and death and darkness and the principalities of evil. But we still see those things present in our world today. And Jesus continues to fight against those things, though we have won, that the enemy is still fighting, though he's been defeated. To be clear, much of what Jesus demonstrates as he's pushing back these, these powers of, of evil and these, the, the evil in our world, he's, he's showing his authority in these situations, kind of central, right? But what I don't want to miss is that though he has conquered evil, he still had these rhythms of pushing back against them that he calls us as the church, to in the same way continue those rhythms of pushing it back and confronting the evils within our world, right? Look at what Ephesians says. This is kind of a big passage. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesians. Stick with me. We'll dive into this. There's so many different things, so many practical things that Paul puts in here about how we confront evil in a practical sense. He says, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor for all members of one body. He says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. 
It's good for married couples and don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands so they can have a good retirement. Nope. So that they may have something to share with those in need. He goes on to say this. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others. He says, watch your speech that it may benefit those who listen. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, get rid of rage, get rid of anger, get rid of brawling, get rid of Facebook, get rid of slander, along with every form of malice. You're only laughing because it's true. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. When we we talk about this rhythm of Jesus kind of pushing back the the reality of evil in in the world, and we see, man, how has Christ called us to do the same thing? We, the instant, instant kind of thought is, yeah, we need to push back against powers of evil, against the evil TV stations and the right or the left or whatever. We need to push back. But I think what Paul is saying here is that we begin to have rhythms of confronting evil and we begin to confront the evil within our own hearts. Amen. We looked at this last week. Jesus is very, very straightforward about what comes from our hearts in a fleshly manner and that we have a, a need for a new heart. But this pushing back the rhythms, pushing back evil, confronting the realities of evil happen in our own hearts. That's what Paul's talking about. He says the way that we talk to each other, the way that we work, our, our emotions, our anger, these different things, he says, get rid of these things. Push back against the realities of evil in our own lives. Have rhythms that push these things back, that keep these things in check. We, God doesn't call us to be the moral police of society. Tried that in the 80s and 90s, didn't go so great. Didn't work so great. Like you're not gonna change anybody's heart by being like, hey, hey, do that, don't do that. But in ourselves, he calls us to look inward, to, to humble ourselves, to look inward that we might influence and affect people around us. We oppose the evil in the world as Christ did when we show kindness, when we show compassion, when we offer forgiveness just as Christ forgave us and ultimately to the people around us when we die to ourselves. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. Jesus calls us to take up our crosses and, and we confront the reality of evil when we take up our cross and die to ourselves. Why? For the sake of the people around us. This is, this is like maybe the simplest point, but I think the, the most important for the morning is that the rhythms of Jesus as we look through his life, as we look through the gospels, included a pursuit and a passion for people. I know it's not groundbreaking, but I gave you fill in the blanks. You're welcome, fill it in. This may be simple, we can't miss this this morning, that the way Jesus spent his time and energy when we looked at kind of the sheet music, the mission of his life, it was always aimed at the, for the sake and the good of the people around him. Right away, right away, even before he casts out this demon, he calls his disciples to follow him. He spends his time investing in, pouring into his disciples, calling them to come alongside of him. He was their teacher, he was their rabbi. At one point, he asked them, are you going to leave? And they say, where would we go? Like he, he spent his time investing in these men. And, and, and right away, they begin to help people. Mark 1, verse 30, he helps Peter's mom. And we see that as he starts healing people, as he starts casting out demons, as he starts caring for people, they're lining up at his door. They're like, we just got to get some Red Bulls. We're going to be up all night doing this stuff, disciples. Let's go. But you read their, their house. He's, there's people lining up to come to Jesus. We always, always, always see Jesus with all kinds of people. All kinds of people. It's so easy for us. I know this is our inclination in the church is for us to kind of come into church world and slowly just kind of get our people and close in and not see people that were always with the same people. But Jesus was with 
all kinds of people. He was with all kinds of people. He was with his disciples. He was with the sick. He was with sinners. He was with the religious. He was with the Jew. He was with Gentile, family, foreigner. I love I love this picture, whether it's on the same page or you can flip your page here, is we're kind of in this zip code to Mark 2, uh, verse 15. This is an awesome passage that Jesus, as we're looking at these rhythms of his life, these interactions with his life, we see the rhythms of his investment in people. And this is when he calls Matthew. Matthew's name is also Levi. This is when he calls him. It's so, it's so interesting. He calls him and he doesn't say, hey, come with me to church. We're going to go this way. He calls Levi and then he immediately goes to Levi's house. This is what it says. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many that followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. The rhythms of Jesus' life we're always, always, always focused on people, right? Nobody was ever interrupting Jesus. Nobody was ever getting in Jesus's way. Jesus wasn't ever on the way to the dentist. It's like, I don't have time for you. He was, his eyes were always open to people. And you know what I think the, the passage or the secret to this passage is? What I think that this whole passage kind of hangs on, what I think that if we could grab out of this passage, it would kind of start to change our minds and hearts a little bit. What I think the central point of this is, it's very deep. It's food, it's true. Jesus, he goes, to his, he goes to Matthew's house to eat with him, right? Food is the great equalizer. All through the scriptures, especially in the life of Jesus, we see him eating with his disciples. We see him eating at a sinner's house. We see him eating at, we talk a lot about these religious Pharisees. He went and ate with them. He, he was eating and people who weren't invited showed up. One time he ate lunch with 5,000 people. Next day, 4,000 people. That the last moment he has with his disciples, the last kind of intimate moment with his followers is around the table. That if you are a follower of Christ, our hope is beyond this earth. It's with Jesus made new, a new creation in heaven. And the picture of God as our groom and us as the church of his bride coming together is made full at this picture of the marriage supper of the lamb. This idea of food is central. And Jesus uses food to call and commune and sit and care for people around the table. Which just makes us ask a very, there's a very simple question. Who are we having over to eat? Like, I mean it. Like, who are we having over to eat? It's such a good question, I know, for myself and for others that we get so caught up in what's going on, but it's like, who are we inviting up to the table? Because in a very deep theological, spiritual sense, God has called us to his table, right? That, that we who are not worthy to come eat at the table of God has invited us to pull a chair up at the table. Who are we inviting to come sit at the table with us? I think what happens oftentimes is because life is so crazy that we don't have time, right? Like we don't have time that we go through life and we have to do all these different things that there's so much going on. We got we to get the kids to school. We have deadlines. We got dance class. We have overtime at work. The lawn needs mowed. The in-laws are coming over. Groceries need picked up. There's so much stuff that we put on kind of these blinders and we have this, our life turns into this task list and we don't see people around us, Right? I think the pace and the hurriedness and the way in which we live helps us to put on blinders and we don't see the people around us. As I was, as I was working on this, I literally, I kid you not, was right to this point. And I'm like, how do I illustrate this? Then Bob Combs 
If you guys know Pastor Bob Combs, he's kind of an old, awesome fella who is around here. He's a pastor here for years. I have great real estate. My office is right next to him. He's full of wisdom. Bob walks in my office right when I get to this point. Bob doesn't knock. He doesn't knock on doors. He just walks into doors. Not into the doors, through doors. He's, he's fine. But he comes in and he starts to tell me this story. He always comes in and tells me all these stories of people that he's interacted with. And every time... Every time he tells me a story that he was going to see somebody, he was going to, to get his car looked at, he was going to pick up paint for his house, and every time he says, I met a guy, I met a guy, and he goes on to tell this story about how this person's life is broken and how he talked with them, invited him to church. There's a guy who sits in one of our services every week, and he told me a story on this guy that he went to visit someone else at the hospital, and this guy was in a room next to the guy Bob was going to see. And Bob kind of saw that this guy was just kind of alone and he kind of maybe said something, probably said he was good looking. He says that all the time. And, and he went in and started talking to this guy and this guy just didn't have any family, didn't have a lot going on in his life and he was just hurting and Bob sat and talked to this guy. This guy's been sitting in our services every week for a year and a half now because Bob saw him. And I'm like humbled by that because I like will run out to do something. I'm like, I can't be here long. I got to get back. Got to shoot these emails out, make sure everything's still happening. But Bob sees people. Now, we're not all extroverts like Bob. Some of us are socially awkward, you know? Some of, like, we're not all like, oh, I can just go talk to everybody. But I think the point is this, that Bob sees people. I'm like, how often do I see people, right? Like, this is just a clerk. This is just a mailman. This is just like a, like, there's no difference between a tree and a person sometimes. But I was so humbled when Bob came in and shared the story right when I got to this point. Like, do we see people? I think oftentimes we don't see people because, like I said, we don't, have time. And as we look at the life of Christ, we look at the rhythms of his life, his, the mission and music of his life was set to being focused around people. And as we look at the rhythms of that, we see that Jesus, Jesus had rhythms in his life that, that made him be able to minister to people in a better way. That Jesus, his rhythms included rest, which were vital to the work he was doing. Jesus came with a mission. He had work to do. Jesus wasn't just watching season three of Stranger Things on Netflix. He had work to do, right? He had specific work to do. In order to do that work, he was called to rest to do that work that was necessary. And he knew that. You can flip, flip back a page. And we'll, we'll say it this way before we read this. That the rhythms of Jesus, the rhythms of Jesus required the rest necessary to do these other two things. We'll throw that up on the screen. The rhythms of Jesus they required the rest necessary to do these other two things that he was doing. That these rhythms, the mission, the music of Jesus' life required rest. And you're like, I know for some of us, for many of us, we're like, I don't have time for rest. I got a lot to do. But it's interesting to look at even, even the Son of God needed to rest. Look at Mark uh, verse 135. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his other companions went looking for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you, Jesus replied. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. And here's his mission, here's his music, for that is why I came. That's why I came. Rest can be this thing that we kind of just fly over, that we kind of just forget, that it's kind of, if we get to rest, it's nice. Sometimes we confuse rest with laziness. They're very different things. That rest and the rhythm of rest, we see Jesus having. There's a time they're out in a boat with his disciples and it's storming. They're like, where's Jesus? He's taking a nap in the boat. 
that we see Jesus before he goes to the cross, he withdraws to the garden to pray that in his solitude, in his silence, he rests on and relies on the Father. This isn't just a random nap, but the rhythms of Jesus's life, the work that he has been called to do is reliant. And this rest is part of this process. It's part of the rhythms of Jesus. Do you guys, I want to illustrate this. Do you guys know what a rest is in music? Do you guys know what a rest is? Not if you do, shake your head if you're like, what are you talking about? Okay, <laughs> yeah, okay, perfect. Okay, I'm gonna, can I do a cheesy thing and sit at the piano for a second? I won't if you don't want me to. Okay, so I wanna illustrate the rest this way. That we said that Jesus' life, that the mission of Jesus' life was his sheet music, so to say, right? And the rhythms of his life followed his sheet music. And so in music, a rest is when a note is not played. So a rest, you kinda be playing something. Are you with me? So a rest is when a note is not played. A rest is when you, you, take, you take a break from playing the notes. So in music, it gets pretty tiresome. It gets pretty boring to listen to when there's no rest because it's just music that's just kind of being pounded out and there's no rest. There's no rest at all, just notes and notes and notes. And a lot of times that's, that's how our lives go, right? We don't need rest, we don't have time for rest. We have too much to do. We have places to go, people to see, YOLO. We don't have time for rest. But the thing about rest is that it makes the things in our lives that do matter, the things that God has called us to, that rest make those moments so much more important. So we start to play the music. The rest make those other notes have so much more value, so much more importance. And I think as we're looking at the rhythms of Jesus, the rest was so important to the mission that he was doing. We see this rhythm in creation that God had a busy week creating uh, mountains and galaxies and humankind, and then he rests at the end, right? The rest is critical to the work that was done. And I think in our culture and in our world, we don't rest. We're just pounding along. And at first, like, that doesn't sound bad, but it continues to pound and continues to drone. It continues to go through. And you talk to people, how you doing? Busy. How's the kids? Crazy. You know what I mean? And life is just pounding away where the rhythm of creation, the rhythm of Jesus works in these rests so that the notes that we're called to play have so much more value, so much more power, so much more intentionality. I don't think we rest because I think that we think the work is reliant on us, that we're in a culture that we just need to work. We need to work to justify ourselves. We talked about this last week. We need to work to make sure we hold our place in this world. We need to work so people think a certain way about us. And it changes, the rhythms change the way that our hearts are, right? I love this, this quote. It's a long one by this guy named Ronald Rollheiser. Just stick with me. It says this. We'll throw it on the screen. It says, today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever, We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these things. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these things show up on our radar screens. 
We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall and the, than the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church, and we'll say in the work that Jesus is doing. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. To one of his pupils, a guy named Dallas Willard said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. Jesus had a lot of things to do. You know, had to show up, redeem the world from sin and death and usher a new kingdom, busy guy. But Jesus was, was never hurried. He was never anxious. He was never rushed. He was never restless. Because he knew the music, his rhythms were set to the music. He knew the work that the Father had prepared for him to do. It makes me ask us, why, why are we, so this could be a whole sermon series in and of itself, so I'm, we're just scraping the surface today. But why are we so hurried? Why are we so anxious? Why are we so rushed? Why are we so restless? Why is our default response busy to every time someone asks us how we are? And I, I think it's this. I think that our culture is so driven that we need to prove ourselves to everybody that if we were to take a rest, if we were to take a break, I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm not talking about just sitting around. I'm talking about the rest that Jesus did, the rest that God did in creation where we kind of reflect and we sit back and we pray and we have silence and solitude, that we don't do those things because we're scared that if we aren't gonna rest, if we don't rest, someone else will take our place. Someone that we work with, someone might think less of us, that we might miss an opportunity that we might not have as many opportunities, we might not have as much money, that our kids won't be as awesome, that we won't be able to get everything we can out of this life. This is why the term YOLO is a thing. You only live once, you gotta cram everything in. We have to prove ourselves, we have to justify our existence. We have to live the happiest life we can live and so I have to work hard to make sure my life is happy and perfect. And I think it's killing our souls because we're seeing that the work is reliant upon us. And the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus is that he took on the work for us and he presents us before God, holy and complete and perfect because of the work that we did. No, 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 no. Because of the work that he did in our place. Jesus says this in Matthew 11. You may know this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's almost just like relax as you're listening to it, right? I love the way there's a guy named Eugene Peterson who who, uh, wrote a, a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, and he says it this way. I love this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? You may say, I'm not a religious person. You may just not go to church. There's something in your life that's steering your life and you're religious about. He says, come to me. It says, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That Jesus calls us to take a rest from our need to self-justify ourselves, from our need to make sure that we're presentable before ourselves, before others, before God. Just take a rest from that and come and let me, let me walk with you. The thing about this passage, it talks about this yoke. He says, take this yoke upon you. That a yoke is actually a way that it, it represented work, that oxen would be yoked together and they would pull something. But Jesus is saying, come to me, take my yoke upon you. 
I mean, I'd rather carry a yoke with Jesus than by myself, right? Because there's nothing that's more freeing, there's nothing that's more life-giving, there's nothing that brings greater rest to our souls than to know that the work that we're doing in this world, to know that the work that we're doing is the right work and we're not just running our motors hoping that something's gonna make us okay. Jesus offers us rest when he says, come to me. That's the difference between rest and laziness. Jesus isn't talking about just sit down, throw his feet up, eat popcorn, you know, and just don't do anything. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about resting in the goodness of the Father, taking a break from the work that we know we have to do. Let our souls find rest. We kind of started this this talk looking at at Jesus' rhythms, the rhythms of his life. And this is just a sample. We're just looking at a sample of Jesus' life in these couple passages. That these rhythms are set to his music and set to his mission. And we said this at the beginning, that all the rhythms of our life are set to some music. What's the music that our rhythms are set to? Are they just set to the American tune and we are just doing what we do because that's what everybody does and we're not really sure why? Like what is the sheet music that your life is playing to, that your rhythms are playing to? Is it to, is it to gain success? Is it to find comfort, to say, find happiness? If you do all these different things and your rhythms go this way, then I'll be happy. Like what are the rhythms that you're setting your life to? And as we set our rhythms, our, our time is going to follow in these rhythms. Our money is going to follow in these rhythms. Our thoughts, our efforts, our schedules, our priorities, our decisions are all going to follow the rhythms of what our sheet music is. Are we following the practical rhythms of Jesus? Not for salvation. Not because God will like me if I do. Not at all. If your identity is in Christ, God likes you because of Jesus. Died for you in Christ. But are our rhythms in a practical sense following the rhythms of Christ? I think it's interesting that God didn't just drop a magical Bible out of nowhere and say, here's some tips for living. But he showed up as a person, right? Who woke up, who went to sleep, who interacted with people, who worked, who rested, who taught. He was a person. And in the same way that Jesus calls his disciples to follow him as, we say this all the time, as followers of Christ, He calls us to follow him. What are the rhythms of life that he's calling us into? Are we we opposing, we have rhythms of opposing evil within ourselves. I know that sounds like Lord of the Rings or something. But do we have community around us? Do we have rhythms of of eating scripture so that it changes us, of, of dining on the word so that it changes us? So we might see our humble estate and our need for Jesus. The areas in our lives that, man, I, this needs to be flushed out. I want to confront this in my life. Do we have the people around us, the systems for that? Or do we just kind of do whatever and whatever it is? Who, who in the rhythms of our lives, who are we having over to eat? I want to say it that way. Kind of literal, but kind of, not, kind of also spiritual. Who are we having over to eat? We say this a lot in our grace group format, but who are our three like, who are, who are three people in your path or course of life that don't know the goodness of Jesus, who don't know the rest that Jesus offers, who don't know the forgiveness that Jesus offers, who thinks it's just some kind of American spirituality? Who are those people who don't know that, that God has placed in your life? Are the rhythms of our life acknowledging those people? Invite them over for dinner, right? Who's someone in our life that it's like, man, they, they, could, they could use some encouragement, they could use some encouragement, have them over for dinner. Literally have them over for dinner. 
Who are those people in our lives? Jesus, all the rhythms of Jesus' life, the sheet music of Jesus' life, were the passionate pursuit of people. And if we are called to follow Jesus, to live in Christ's likeness, to be taught and follow the footsteps of Jesus, it's going to involve people. If we live our lives with these blinders on, we're like, man, I just, I, I hate people, and I don't know why Jesus isn't present in my life. It might be time to take those blinders off and see who are the people in my life that I need to have over for dinner. I have, so my, my wife has some, some aunts and uncles, and every time I go over there for a holiday, they're like the nicest people ever, greatest food ever. There's always like four or five people there that I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> like, oh, that's uh, my uncle's neighbor. Uh, that's a new couple from church. <laughs> that's my uh, tax guy. No, but it's, they, they always have random people over for these meals. They're always inviting someone into the table, and I love that picture. I'm always encouraged by that that picture. And, and, and lastly, this. This is, a, this is a simple week. This is a practical week for us just to write down questions as we walk through our week. Are we walking in step with Jesus? Are we walking in the footsteps of Jesus into the life that, that he lived? Do we have rhythms of rest in our lives? Or are we just pounding away at the realities of life because it's reliant on us and we're not listening to the voice of Jesus that says, let me take this burden from you? carry my yoke, and so we're just pounding away. What are the rhythms of rest in your life? The rhythms of of solitude and silence and reliance on Jesus. When we don't rest, when we don't rest, we're saying like, God, I don't really need you. I'm thankful for the salvation thing. Heaven's going to be great. I'll see you there. But we don't really need him for much in our life. Sometimes that's what happens when we don't follow the rhythms of Jesus, right? He calls us to follow these rhythms, what is the music that our lives are playing to? Because sometimes uh, we have conversations with people. I talk to, you talk to other people around you, you're like, man, everybody's just droning on, it seems like, right? But I know my soul, because I'm that way often, and when I talk to somebody who's like, like focused on people, when I talk to someone like Bob or other people in my life that are focused on people, I'm like, gosh, that's refreshing. When I talk to people that intentionally take rest and intentionally take breaks to be able to, to focus on Jesus and recharge and know that the work is not reliant on them, I'm like, man, that seems, that seems refreshing, right? When you talk to people who are humble in heart and aware of their own evil that they're trying to work out of them, you're like, man, that's, that's encouraging to me. Like when we see these rhythms in the people around us, it's humbling and encouraging to us. As we kind of land this series, my hope is for, for, the, for us as a church, isn't that the life and the teachings and the story of Jesus would just be some like philosophy that we vaguely try to follow, but it would be a reality that the gospel, the beauty of God in our place that we might have right relationship with him, that that would be the music, that that would be the sheet music of our lives. That God for us would be the song that we sing, that the forgiveness that has been offered to us, the grace that has been offered to us, the life that has been purchased for us would be the sheet music to our lives. And in light of that truth, the rhythms of our lives would be to follow and to trust Jesus. And so our hope is that as we've walked through this series, that we have a clearer picture of who our Savior is, that we have a a better, more well-rounded picture of who Christ is, what he has called us to, what the rhythms of his life are. Because in fact, we are Christ's followers. Amen. Can I pray for us this morning? God, we're just thankful that you have made your way to us. We're thankful that you are human. 
And Jesus, we're thankful that, that you have defeated the powers of sin, that you have created a way that we can enter your rest, that you have drawn near to us, that you came into our house, that you sat down at a table. Jesus, we are so thankful for these things, that we gather because of these things, we sing because of these things, we serve one another because of these things. Jesus, our prayer as, as people on this earth, as a bunch of people who are living in the middle America, God, and my prayer is that we would just be reminded of the rhythms that you call us to. God, I know for myself, and I have to imagine this is true for so many of us, that, that what is true about us spiritually and what you call us to practically is so hard to put together sometimes. It's hard to figure out what that looks like. And so Jesus, out of the, the forgiveness and the confidence that we have in the gospel, I pray that we would continue to follow your footsteps, that we continue to walk in the rhythms, that we would walk to the music that you are playing. Not so that we can just have a happy, nice life, Jesus, but for the sake of the people around us, for the sake of your kingdom that you have brought near, Jesus. I pray that you would just be a reality for us this week as we go, that we would be reliant on you, that we would rest in you, that we would see people the way that you did, that we would push back on evil the way that you did. Jesus, we're thankful that you don't leave us on our own. We're thankful that you're present with us. And Jesus, for those of us that are walking in this morning with a burden, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whether it's mental, whatever it is, Jesus, I pray that just the realities of you calling us to bring our burdens upon you would be a reality in our lives. We're thankful that you don't leave us alone, Jesus. We're thankful that you walk with us and call us to follow you. It's because of the goodness of Jesus that we pray. Amen.